think just the high school youth, I think. Uh, otherwise, yeah. <laughs> Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? Doing okay? Are we uh, overwhelmed by this point at the Christmas season, or is it just a joy? How, where are we at on that? Okay. All right, a little bit of a mix. But hey, ready or not, we are a week away from Christmas Day, aren't we? It's exciting stuff. In the words of the great philosopher, the Grinch... It's practically here, so I'm getting excited about it. Hey, my name is Dallas. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace Meadows Church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2 today. Um, Go ahead and bookmark also Luke chapter 2. And some of these kids have been sent back already, man. I I mean, that's, that's a record right there, guys. I don't know what you guys did, but... No, hey, we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 2 and then Luke chapter 2. So if you want to bookmark Luke chapter 2, we'll be there. Um, as you're turning there, I want to tell you all, I had a friend when I was in college. I was a freshman in college at Lipscomb University. And there was a senior on the baseball team named Casey Bond. And this dude had what I call clout. I mean, he had extreme influence. Uh, when he spoke... Everybody listened, including the coaches. I remember distinctly one time, Casey says to the coach, he says, Coach, I think we should take tomorrow off from practice. And the coach says, you know what, guys, let's take tomorrow off from practice. I mean, this is the kind of clout that this guy had. And he had so much influence over my life. In fact, he was very instrumental in me giving this whole Jesus thing a chance in the first place. I kind of thought, you know, no, that thing's not really for me. But knowing that Casey was a follower of Jesus and how much influence he had, I thought I better revisit this whole Jesus thing. And I'm so thankful for his influence. And I was thinking about that when I was thinking about people like uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis, that there are certain guys who just have this influence, don't they? I mean, you know, every step of the way, Joseph, no matter what he's put through, he has influence. And people like Daniel from the book of Daniel has so much influence, no matter who's ruling, no matter who's reigning, he doesn't have necessarily a position of authority, but he has a ton of influence. And we know that it's because God's spirit is in them. And I bring up Daniel because in Daniel chapter 5, 11, it says that Daniel was chief of a group called the Magi. And so we're going to look a little bit this morning at the Magi and at the shepherds and talk about how they have one main thing in common. Now, when you hear the term Magi, a lot of people refer to them as the wise men. These are the dudes of the day that don't really hold a position, but they're just legendary figures of their time. I mean, they are the most educated. They studied things like math and science. Uh, They studied the Hebrew scriptures. They studied astronomy. And they're essentially like if you put the Senate and the Supreme Court together. That's what they are for the Babylonian people. They're, They're a Gentile people. They're just east of Israel, so they're not a part of the Jewish state. They're, they're just east of Israel in Babylon, 
and they essentially decide what happens in their culture. I mean, if you want to be a king who has influence, you've got to get in good with the Magi. In fact, maybe their biggest role was that they were the king makers of the day. The fact that a king was going to take rule and reign only if the Magi approved of their kingship. And even while they were king, they needed to stay in good with the Magi if they wanted to keep their kingship. Um, think about like how an elder oversees the church, but take that concept and put that over an entire country. I mean, everything that goes into the government, everything that goes into every activity, the Magi are extremely influential in their time. And when the time of Jesus comes, they're even more legendary because they start to become a little bit of a dying sect of people. So not only did they have all this influence in their time, but now that they're sort of becoming archaic, it's like to a whole nother level at this point. I mean, everybody looks at them and says that this is like talking to a living legend. To be in the presence of a magi is to be in the presence of a living legend. And remember what I said about being a kingmaker. That was maybe their most important job. And that's why here in Matthew chapter 2, when it says this in verse 1 and 2, it's such a big deal. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So again, they're the ones who approve kings, and now they're coming to King Herod and they're saying, Okay, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? That's no small detail, I think, for us to highlight this morning, that the king makers of the day have declared in their hearts and in fact even to King Herod that this is the king of the Jews. Now what sitting king would not be excited to hear about another king who is going to come and take his place, right? And in fact, King Herod wants to do something about this. Um, he's been declared king of the Jews by the Roman state when in fact He's not actually a Jew. He's an Edomite, but he knew how to sort of play the Roman system. So the Romans declare him as king of the Jews. And I've always wondered, maybe like you all have, if he doesn't want this new king to in fact be king, why doesn't he just have the Magi go and find this baby and then bring that baby to him? And I thought this for many years, but then I quickly realized because King Herod does not have close to the power of the Magi. I mean, the Magi are part of the Babylonian Empire like we talked about, and that empire is much greater than the empire of Israel, at least militarily at this time. So King Herod can't do anything about it. In fact, if anything, it's the other way around, that the Magi could tell King Herod what to do because they had so much clout so much influence over their culture. Um, just a side note, by the way, it's, it's not likely that there were just three magi. Um, there's a lot of historical reason why. I think the best reason why is if there's three gifts, 
it's not very likely that 100% of the men remember to bring a gift, right? I mean, in order for there to be three gifts for men, there's probably, what would that take, at least 10 men? Probably one woman, but at least 10 men. No, the real reason is because, again, these people were so revered, there was likely an entourage that went with them to go and see King Jesus. All right, one more thing you got to know about the Magi. They were so enriched into Jewish prophecy. Um, Again, Daniel was chief of the Magi, like we talked about before, and he had some prophecies about the coming Messiah, and they would study these. Remember what you just talked about? They're the most educated people in the culture. I mean, they would study, they would study, they would study, and they would study. They looked at Daniel with reverence, and they would study the book of Daniel, but not just the book of Daniel, but the Old Testament as well. And in Daniel uh, chapter 9, 25, it says this. It says, no one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay, so stay with me for just a minute. This might be a whole lot of math. And students, y'all are probably like, really, math on a Sunday? Come on. But uh, So stay with me. If you do the math here, this is 483 years. Okay, So he's writing this in about B.C. 600 or so. And in about uh, 400, what was it, 457 B.C., uh, under the time of uh, Artaxerxes, the temple is being built. So if you add 483 to that 457, you get to be around AD 26. This is right around the time of Jesus' ministry being started. So they know that we're, we're close, Right? They've studied the scriptures. They've especially studied Daniel. So they know that the time of the anointed one, the Messiah, is close. And so when they go in Matthew chapter 2, they cite to Herod. They likely educate Herod on the Jewish scriptures. In Micah 5, 2, he says this, uh, But you, Bethlehem, uh, you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, uh, from ancient times. So the Magi quote this to King Herod and educate King Herod about the coming Messiah. So they're, they're putting these things together. They say, okay, really close to Jerusalem. Uh, Bethlehem is about five miles from Jerusalem. They say the king will be born. And they see this star, likely what they see is from Luke chapter 2, verse 9, where the glory has shone around the shepherds when the angel visits. Likely they have seen that glory be shown, and so they refer to it or they think that it's a star, and they begin their journey to go and see the Messiah. And man, Scripture says that they were overjoyed. I mean, they were overjoyed to see this star. Now think about that for a second. Think about how much humility would have to be present for you as the Magi. So much influence, so much education, uh, so much wealth, but to be able to humble yourself enough to say, I'm so excited to go and see this baby king. Man, that's a lot of humility. Where this morning... 
do we? Are we kind of like the Magi where we say, you know what, I've got a lot of influence and maybe I'm starting to like feel myself a little bit with that, right? Do you ever get to that point where you just say, man, maybe I've earned my way. Maybe I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I've done some great things and maybe I don't need to humbly come before God. But man, the Magi, they just are overjoyed to go worship Jesus, this King of the Jews. So, why does this story happen in Matthew chapter 2? This is so important. In Matthew chapter 1, it shows the genealogy of Jesus as if to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecy, that he comes through the line of Abraham, so he's fulfilling that prophecy. But the Magi shows us that he is also being declared by Gentiles, the ones with high influence, he's being declared by the Gentiles as king. So, it's as if to say that Jesus is now for the Jew or for the Gentile. That Jesus is now king of all. There is a new kingdom present, and it transcends Jewish culture. It transcends Babylonian culture. All you have to do is humbly come and worship the king. Y'all, that's good news this morning. Uh, Hard transition. I had another friend. Uh, growing up, who didn't really have much influence, just to put it nicely. Uh, We played baseball together, and he uh, was small, and he was weak, and he was a bit lazy, which is not a good combination for an athlete, right? Put all those things together. And he was very frustrated all the time, and he wasn't a very likable kid. But I remember one year, he didn't go out for baseball, And I thought that was kind of strange, you know, because as bad as he was at it, he really seemed to be devoted. Like, you know, I'm I'm there every year. I'll show up to every practice. I may not run all the way to first base very fast, but I'll be there. Um, And so I thought that was kind of strange. So I saw him at school one day, and, man, this dude was different than I'd ever seen him. I mean, the, the guy who was always frustrated all the time became the guy who was just glowing, I mean, he, he looked different. Uh, he didn't have still clout like other people would have, but man, he had so much joy. And so I looked at him and I said, something has happened here. I mean, to look at who you were and what was going on in your life to now something major has happened, and it was this encounter with Jesus. And this is the story of the shepherds. That the shepherds could not be more opposite of the Magi. I mean, these guys were um, driven out of culture essentially because uh, they didn't really have a lot of use to the people in the culture. So they said, you know what, you don't have much to offer, so why don't you go and tend the shepherds. We're going to send you sort of towards the outskirts of town, and you go tend the shepherds. That's kind of your role at this point. And so I think it's no coincidence that the angel says to the shepherds, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy to who? To all people. As if to say, Yeah, even you, the one who has been casted out from the culture, the one who uh, can't seem to, you know, be bought into the culture because you don't really have a role, the angel says, Yeah, you. This is for you. In fact, the angel says this, 
uh, in Luke 2, verse 11. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to who? To you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, what's important to note here is that the shepherds are likely tending uh, to the, the Passover sheep. Because they're just outside of Jerusalem. And every year at Passover that they would sacrifice tons of sheep um, as if to cast their sins onto that sheep. And then allow that sheep to be sacrificed as if to sort of wipe the slate clean. And so when, um, when it would get close to Passover, what they would do, the shepherds would have to wrap the sheep in cloths in order to keep them spotless. Because in Exodus it says that you have got to offer a spotless lamb. So these shepherds couldn't get the sheep dirty. They couldn't allow them to get dirty. So, so this, is, this is so awesome. When, when the angel says that you will find him lying in a manger where animals eat from, and wrapped in cloths, this is a foreshadowing to the shepherds as if to say, hey, there will be an ultimate sacrifice one day. And in fact, when this sacrifice comes, you will no longer be tending to sheep. Why? Because Jesus has made a way for you to be back in the culture. Jesus has made a way for you to to be equal, that there will be no one who's better than anybody else. It doesn't matter if you have the influence of the Magi or you have zero clout whatsoever as a shepherd. Jesus is the great equalizer. And so the angel is giving them this glimpse as if to give them hope, to give them good news of great joy available to who? To all. And some of you may come in this morning a little bit more relating to the shepherds than the magi. Maybe you feel like, you know, I I don't know that I have as much to offer as some other people in this kingdom. That maybe God will work through other people and not not through me. I mean, I got all these things going on and stuff like that, but but don't you find it interesting that Jesus is really close nearby to these shepherds? I mean, don't you find it interesting that those who feel like they don't have a lot to offer or those who maybe are in the midst of a mess or maybe they are struggling a lot of these shepherds struggled with alcoholism and things like that I mean maybe maybe they're feeling like I I don't know that that God would ever be interested in being close to me but yet this is exactly where Jesus wants to be that he's born in a manger a place where animals eat from And he goes to death on a cross, which is one of the most humiliating forms of death. Maybe this is exactly where Jesus wants to be. Maybe if you come in this morning and you're dealing with stuff, maybe you've had loss. Maybe you're going through trauma. Maybe you have sin habits that are just eating at you. That's exactly where Jesus wants to be in your life. Jesus is near by you. Y'all, Jesus is... Good news to the Magi and to the shepherds. And in fact, they had so little in common. I mean, you think about the Magi, highly educated, highly influential foreigners. You have the shepherds who are on the outskirts of town, no influence, no education, nothing really going for them. And yet, because of Jesus, now they have far more in common than they ever have apart. Why? 
because they've both been invited into this kingdom of God that transcends everything else. And so this morning, I want you to realize that whether you have influence or you don't, it's about the influence of Christ anyway. The fact that he has made a way, that the Holy Spirit now is available to us, and if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, then y'all, he's got plans for us. Whether you've got influence or not, he's got plans for you this morning. Do you realize that here today? That Jesus is nearby. If you're going through stuff, Jesus is nearby. And some of you may come in today and you think, yeah, but there's a limit, isn't there? Right? That in my life, when I've gone through stuff and I've allowed my pride to just keep me down on my face, I've said, yeah, yeah, I know you've died for me and I know you've made a way and I know you've done all these things, but now I've really done it. And maybe some of you come in here this morning that way, but I want to remind you, y'all, we, we now, think about this, we now go buy mangers from Hobby Lobby and places like that, and we put them in our living room because it's a beautiful decoration. Why? Because Christ entered that space. And now it's a sign of beauty. We think of the manger, what it was before was like a bucket of slop, like we think of today is like a bucket of slop, but because Jesus dwelled in that space, man, now it's beautiful. And so this morning, if you are struggling to expose things, if you're struggling to just say, God, I want you to enter into this space in this thing that I'm struggling with in my life, man, this morning's a great time to just say, God, go ahead. Because I know you can turn this situation and make it beautiful. Y'all, when... I've been closest to Jesus was when I was on my face crying and saying, God, I've ruined everything. It's done. It's over. And he met me there in that space. And he'll meet you in yours as well because he's always nearby the mess because that's where he wants to be. Y'all, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And I can't wait to do that with you guys today. I mean, there's nothing like communion at Christmas. I mean, Easter, obviously, that's a great time to do communion as well. But man, this is just a wonderful time for us at Christmas time, just to take communion together. Um, as we're doing that, I, I want to, I want you guys to keep in mind, if you are not a believer here today, I, I would ask for you to abstain from taking communion with us. But I'd love for you to just consider, what does it look like for you to take your next step in believing this good news of the gospel. Um, and if you are someone who's coming in here today and you, maybe there are things that you've neglected to give him, I, I'd encourage you to give those things to him before taking communion here today. If there are relationships that, um, that just aren't, aren't quite right and you know there's some things that maybe you need to confess and work out a game plan to address that with that person, to maybe seek forgiveness. Maybe there's something you need to own this morning. Maybe there's um, something in your relationship with God that you just got to gotta address, you got to own. I would encourage you before you take communion this morning to address those things. Uh, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks 
judgment on himself. Y'all, I'd love for us, before you take communion, man, address some of those things first. And then, doesn't mean you have to get things perfect. Doesn't mean you need to text the person right, right away, right, before you take communion. But it does mean we need to address those, give those things to him, and then take communion together. So what we're going to do is we're going to have two songs on the back end here. During the first song, if you will, grab the elements. There's some uh, on the front corners and I think the back corners as well. If you'll grab those elements, confess the things that you need to give to him. You can come down to the altar if you choose. I'll be here at the front if you need to talk to somebody. Um, But at the end of the first song, I'll come back up here and we'll take communion together at the same time. And then we'll have another song of worship and reflection. I'd love to pray for us and then we'll do that. Father, we thank you that that everything has changed with the birth of your son. I mean, you, you've brought this way into the world and you think about the kingdoms of the past of, of just pride and just trying to get what you can get and, and get the power that you can and all that. But yet, with Jesus in this manger, born in a slop of a mess, nearby shepherds, you've changed everything forever. I mean, you've made a way for anybody. Anybody who's coming in here today, you've made a way. Yeah, like even for you, the person right now thinking, gosh, I just don't know. I just don't know. Father, I pray that you would grant them some belief this morning. Because that's what the shepherds did. They see, they, they see the, the good news. They hear about the good news and they say, I just got to go right now and I got to go find out about this more. And they praise your name. They come back and, they, and you give them a mission of telling everybody. Say, hey, go, go and, go and share the good news. And in fact, it's the shepherds who are the ones who go first and share the good news. And Father, you've got a role for us in your kingdom. Father, if we have much influence or hardly it at all, man, you've got a role for us. And so, Father, help that purpose to shape our lives this morning. If there are things that we need to address, if there are relationships we need to address, I pray for the courage and the conviction and the boldness to go ahead and address those things this morning before taking communion together. Father, above it all, you are above it all. And so we reflect on that this morning. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen.